You've been hearing how some big brands are winning through simplicity. But don't get intimidated. You can do this too, no matter the size of your team or your budget. Want to learn the six behaviors you can instill to create simple experiences for your customers and your team members? Download a free copy of my simple playbook today. It'll help you immediately turn your customer experience around and create an Amazon experience without having an Amazon budget. Grab your copy of my simple playbook at mattliles.com slash simple playbook. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. It's been right about a year since most employees were sent home to work remotely. And now that the COVID vaccine is in full rollout, pretty soon in-person work will be possible again. So that means no more remote work, right? That means back to business as usual, right? Well, not exactly. Some employers are looking to bring back employees back to the office full time. On the other hand, Some employers have made the decision to have everyone go remote full-time. But it looks like most are considering a hybrid approach, where some amount of office space will still be there, while still offering the opportunity for employees to essentially decide when they'll work from the office and when they'll work remotely. But one thing is for certain, if we're in a period where the majority of employees will work from anywhere then leaders need to make sure that they have the skills to lead from anywhere. And that's why I'm thrilled to have David Burkus back on the show this week. David's written multiple award-winning books. He's got a TED Talk that's been viewed over two million times. He's been featured by The Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, USA Today, Fast Company, and many others. And for the past four years, he's been ranked as one of the top world business thought leaders by Thinkers50. In his latest book, Leading from Anywhere, David provides you with the ultimate guide to leading remote teams so you can tackle the key challenges that leaders face, from hiring and onboarding new members from afar to building culture remotely, tracking productivity, communicating speedily, and avoiding burnout. So here it is. Here's my interview with David Burkus. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me, or I I guess having me back. Yeah, that's right. You know what? You are one of the members of the exclusive two-timers club. Oh, I mean, I, it's it's fun to just be a member of the club. I've got the t-shirt and everything. I uh, Two-timers, that's... Or, or you've run out of really cool guests and for some reason you decided to talk to me again. All of the above. <laughs> but you are back for a reason and it is pretty interesting. So congrats on launching Leading From Anywhere. But I got to think, I don't think you had this book planned out all along. So I'm thinking through the process of publishing a book, you know, from concept to pitching to writing, editing and launching. And that process usually takes at least a couple of years. But this one came out in rapid time frame. So tell me how the book came to fruition. 
Yeah, I mean, all of that is correct. So from from signing the initial contract to publication was about uh, six months and three days, actually, if we want to get exact, that is wow. that is representative of your instinct, which is that we weren't planning for this. But let's be fair, most people weren't planning for what 2020 served them. <laughs> right? Yeah. So and, and in a way, that was what we were seeking to respond to. So if we go if we go way, way back, um, in 2015, 2016, I worked on a book and published a book called Under New Management, which was all about the ways the workforce is changing, trying to, to tease out what are trends and fads and what are lasting changes to the way that we manage talent to attract and retain um, and, and build a sense of team and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and in, in writing that book, I interviewed a lot of companies that were remote by default, right? Either because they started uh, as a remote organization or because, and this happens more often than you'd think, they sought to be an organization with more uh, freedom and autonomy, more trust and giving their people autonomy. And that turned them into a, a hybrid is what the term everybody's using now, or what I often call a work from anywhere organization that basically turned them into an almost remote organization anyway, right? At any given time, maybe less than half of the people who worked for the company were actually at the office space. So we were we were um, already already steeped in knowing those companies and already kind of with the research. But we started, to, I started 2020 uh, launching an audiobook project with Audible called Pick a Fight that was all about how you bond and motivate teams by by pointing to a bigger sense of justice in the world that you're willing to fight for as an organization. And I thought that was what we'd be talking about. You know, for two, like when you publish a book, you expect that it's going to be the only thing you talk about for two or three years, maybe even longer. And then, and then it's something you'll never stop talking about. And then the world ended, right? We, we, we locked everything down. Everybody went home for what we thought was going to be maybe a two-week experiment and flattening the curve and turned into, I think today is day 351 of 15 days to flatten the curve or slow the spread or whatever we called it as we're recording this. We went after that, I think, thinking this would be kind of temporary, but it became pretty obvious. I mean, by by April or May, that we had gone through the growing pains. There, we were still dealing with some burnout, but a lot of people were building their calendar into something they liked more than the work at the office program. And so kind of in response to the need, which is how do we do this? We didn't choose to be a remote organization, but we are at least for the next year. And at the same time, we're recognizing that some of this will never go away, right? There's never, even little things like we will not, just because everybody's back at the office, we will not see the end of Zoom meetings because even when you're spread out across a campus, it just makes more sense to jump on a, a Zoom call than it does to make everybody find one room in a large sprawling campus or something like that, right? So. Right. There's a lot of things that aren't going away. The future of work is working from anywhere. And so we got this idea in our head, what, what if we put out something, drawing on the lessons from five years ago, going back with some of those companies that have expanded and, and continue to succeed, and then looking at the research that's been conducted in the last 10 years about remote and virtual teams, what if we put all of that together and provided that manual for people? Uh, and the publisher was like, yeah, we love the idea. How fast can we get it out there? And I was like, well, you know, I think I'm using, I'm using a lot of profiling and going back to interviewing a lot of companies I already know, et cetera. We already have a lot of this research. So, you know, maybe, maybe we could write the thing in like six months and they came back and we're like, can you do it in three? And, and I, <laughs> and I said, well, I mean, yes, but you know, it's, it means I have to cancel a few other things. And if and you pay happy. me enough. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I didn't want to say that, but that was what I was hinting. I said it. 
And then, uh, and then actually just so since we said that, then I got the contract and the contracts gave me eight weeks instead of 12. So, so that's what we did. We signed that contract June 2nd, uh, and delivered the manuscript to them on July 31st. Uh, and the, the idea was it's, it's a little bit different book than I've ever written because I mean, it's the most practical, I'll say this right off the bat, the most practical book I've ever written. Every book I have has a little sort of takeaway at the end of the chapter. This is like half of every chapter is great. Now that you know the research and you've seen examples of it, do these four or five things to make this situation better. Um, And the whole book is structured around not sort of a big idea, right? But it's structured around here are the challenges you're going to face with a remote team. It's sort of like, do you remember when we were kids and we read those choose your own adventure books? Oh yeah, I love this. Those. Is, this is a choose your own dilemma book for yeah. managing a remote team, right? What dilemma do you have? We've got a chapter on it, and we'll give you some insights into how to make it better. Well, in the same way that it that it that it felt like it was uh, fast tracked, it seems like there's a way to fast track your reading for the book too. It's like you may not have some of these problems, but if you have this challenge, this dilemma, you can jump right to this chapter without having read everything that came before it. Yeah. And that was the exact idea, right? So, okay, you're not facing this situation. Great. Skip to the next chapter, right? Or, or, I mean, obviously as an author, I would love for you to read it from cover to cover and admire all of the brilliance of what blah, blah, blah. But in reality, like I'm just trying to make it as practical as possible. You want to know, you have to do that first hire of someone you've never met. Great. Turn to this chapter, right? Uh, you want you want to know how to fire someone? Actually, we put that in the appendix at the back because it was kind of a bummer <laughs> and it really ruined the flow. But we got that covered too, right? And everything in between. You just need to know how to run a better Zoom meeting. Great, like we got it. Um, and so there's a there are a lot of people that have told me like I've, I've got the book uh, and I read these three chapters and I definitely got my money's worth. And I, I love that. I wish they would read the whole book, um, but I, st- I still they love hearing will. that at least something was was useful for them. They'll go back and read the rest of it. <laughs> but one of the things that I was thinking about is if you look at the book from like a higher level and you look at, you know, you look at it as leading from anywhere. And I think of the lens of leadership. So how different is leadership in person to remote leadership? Well, you know, it, it's one of those things that I don't know that the the strategy or the elements of great leadership changes all that much. What changes is the tactics, right? If you think about the last year, it's the micromanagers, right? It's the it's the lumbergs to quote from Office Space, right? <laughs> those are the people that are really struggling. The people that that assumed presence equaled productivity. The people that were trying to document everything. Uh, not the people that were focused on the culture of the team, that were focused on finding internal, in, intrinsic motivators for each person and speaking to that. Uh, the, the people that were focused more on coaching than telling people what to do. They've actually managed the, the change pretty nicely, right? Because at that point, what changes are some tactics. You know, that, that's what I said right off the top. The interesting thing to me, even five years ago, is that a lot of organizations that realized that we're hiring brilliant people, we're, we're paying them for their knowledge, skills, and abilities, and their ability to turn all of that mental resources into value for our organization. Why wouldn't we want to give them a say in how they work, when they work, who they work with, et cetera? A lot of those organizations turned remote anyway, right? <laughs> right? Because- yeah. People, people started to want a little more freedom in, in where they worked and when they worked. And so, you know, the, the same thing happens here. If you were already one of those managers, the, all that changes is tactics. And we've got those tactics for you, right? We, we talk about that. But there's the bigger shift when we think about leading from anywhere that, that we really need to abandon this kind of 
management by walking around, not the good version of it, but the, but what it got persuaded as, right? When Tom Peters and company first presented this idea that one of the things great managers do is get out of their office and, and walk around and check in on people. I don't think they were expecting that that would turn into make sure you know what time they came in and when they're leaving and, and monitor their activity and all that sort of stuff. It was more about having those regular conversations, checking in with people and knowing that you can't treat in order to treat everyone equally, you have to treat them differently because you have to treat them differently based on their strengths and weaknesses and, and what have you. None of that changes, right? The only thing that changes is now we're doing it in a variety of different mediums of communication instead of face-to-face. But if you were one of those monitor people, man, everything changed. And and some companies have tried to avoid that change by like buying spy software and all sorts of ridiculous stuff. Goodness. And I've really, I think there's a lot of people still that are just hanging on, right? That are just saying, we'll eventually open back up. Right. And so I just need to figure out how to tread water. No, you don't, because you don't send hundreds of millions of people to work from home for a year and then snap your fingers and say, everybody come back to the office five days a week, 40 hours a week. It it just doesn't happen. And it's not going to be the same. Right. Right. I mean, the the likelihood, uh, other than having an all hands meeting, the likelihood that your team is going to all be in the office at the same time, if it's not for some form of collaboration, is really, really small. There will always be one or two or possibly half the team that are working somewhere else. Some are working from home. Some are just on the road. Some are choosing to work from a co-working space that's closer to their house that day because why do the massive commute? That's we're not going back to a, a place where we're all just can guarantee availability for each other because we're all forced to be there. And when it comes to how things are moving forward, and there is going to be some level of remote work, some level of remote interaction, no matter what going forward, what are the key areas where leaders should focus to ensure that they always have a thriving team? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'll I'll give you the big three that are really based on the team culture. And by the way, I think because of this shift to working from anywhere, the culture of a team is probably the dominant player moving forward, not the company culture, right? And and you think about that, by the way, as like sort of concentric circles where the team culture fits inside the values of a company culture. You obviously can't have a team that's just totally divergent from the company. But when people think about their company culture from now on, they will be thinking about their interaction with their team because they're not going to be interacting with most of the other people, right? Right. So in terms of that, in in running a remote team, if you haven't already begun to build these things, and I would pay attention to as a leader, what we call um, shared understanding, shared identity, and a sense of psychological safety. Those are the big three in study after study that show that not not only for teams as a whole, but specifically to virtual teams, these are the elements we need in play. And if we can take care of these things, a lot of the other logistics, like what project management software to use, take care of themselves. Um, But let me define those real quick. Um, Shared understanding is the sense that everyone on the team is aware of the knowledge, skills, abilities, preferences, the context people are working in. It's how well do we understand each other? And this has a bunch of different um, ramifications, right? The first, let's just talk about context and calendars. Everybody's working from a different setup right now. I mean, if you're working, if you're on a team that's sort of a national, even inside one country like the United States, 
the the availability openness of different states is so varied right now that everybody's working from different scenarios right some yeah. people like i'm i'm lucky enough to be recording this in about a 10 foot by 10 foot room in the basement of my house my kids are at school uh, so it's quiet i can focus etc other people like bought a folding screen at home depot and stretched it across the corner of their dining room and they use that to hide from their kids that are zoom schooling on the other end of the table right yeah. two very very different contexts and as a leader like i need to make sure that the whole team understands that because i have different i have different expectations of availability from that parent that is also trying to to distance learn their kids in the middle of the day because that's when the school demands they be on the zoom call like i'm okay i, I can trust that you'll get your stuff done that's different than sort of the the single childless person who is li living it up in an apartment by themselves with free uber eats deliveries and all sorts of, like that it's a totally different environment and i need to be aware of that and the other thing that happens often with managing a remote team is that if you don't have shared understanding, people don't know whose strengths are, are what and whose weaknesses are what. And so they make every request for help to you, the leader, right? They, they, anytime they need anything, it goes to you. So you start feeling like I'm not managing a team, I'm managing 10 individual relationships. And that's a problem that shared understanding takes care of because once I know who's really fantastic at this program, right? Or who I can rely on for questions about this project, then I can go directly to that person like I did in a co-located environment because we had all of these times that built shared understanding, right? So that's shared understanding. Shared identity is that sense that I'm on the actual, that the team is my team, that I draw my identity from that team. I think in every organization, shared identity is important. It's just different here. We talk about silos and politics and turf wars in a lot of organizations before they were often functional right? Like almost every large organization I've ever worked with, you can count on there being tension between marketing and legal, right? It just always happens, right? Because marketing is how much can we get away with? And legal is you can't say that on TV, right? Um, so, so there's always legal that sole tension. purpose is to just simply say <laughs> no. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. So that was a functional silo, right? A functional. Well, I think as we move into this work from anywhere world, we're going to be headed to a place where who's co-located around whom is going to be the new us versus them. The people who are choosing to be in the office more are going to start thinking of, of the other people who are in the office more as us and the rest of their team is them and vice versa, by the way. So this is a big problem that making sure as a leader, you're paying attention to make sure that your team knows we're working together on this project. We know the mission. We know the vision of it. We know how our work is interdependent of each other. And as a result, we need to, to come together and build that sense of identity that will skyrocket the effectiveness of your team. And then the very last one I said was psychological safety, which is just that feeling of mutual trust and respect, that feeling that I can express myself fully, that I can take risks and not be punished. Um, as long as I share like the the learnings of even those failures, right? Um, it's the extent to which I feel like I have to cover up any of my mistakes or if all of that is just sort of failing forward and, and learning. This one's more important, to be honest with you, in, in any organization, but in a remote organization, the, the part of psychological safety that comes more important is this idea that I feel free to speak up, that I feel free to express dissent. I know a lot of leaders of remote teams, of newly remote teams for the past year, that the last time someone publicly disagreed with them was in an in-person meeting in February, 2020, right? Because it's just, it's yeah. hard to speak up on a Zoom call. And so we need to be more deliberate about cultivating that dissent, cultivating task 
focused conflict that makes the end product better and making sure that everybody knows that even if you disagree with me, like I still respect you and I still honor your contribution. I'm better because you disagree with me, not everybody just fall in line and agree with me, which is unfortunately what can happen too often when we're trying to run an efficient, quote unquote, efficient virtual meeting is we end up depriving the team of that friction that creates a better product. And I think it helps to also allow for dissenting views and to disagree among your team members as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, I find that that you have to sort of model the way, right? If if they don't if they don't feel like they can speak up and disagree with the leader, they're going to be really you know edgy around each other. Or the disagreements you see in between team members are, are almost more about jockeying for position, and we don't want that either, right? We want the type of disagreement that says, "I care so much about this project." that I feel that I have to speak up and point out this flaw. And as a result, we work together to make the end project you know, better. But that starts with the leader modeling the way. There's a, there's a great study we talk about in the book from uh, Christine Porath, who is sort of the world's foremost expert on civility or lack thereof in the workplace. And she says the number one reason that employees cite for why their team is so uncivil, so disrespectful to each other, et cetera, is that they don't know how to be respectful to each other because they don't have a manager that's respectful to them, right? So if you, if you, there's more to psychological safety than just respectful behavior, but it starts there. And if as a leader, you're not starting there. And this doesn't mean, you know, like most people are well-meaning. Everybody listening to this, you wouldn't be listening to podcasts like this if you didn't intend to be a more inclusive, psychologically safe, respectful leader. But a lot of times, especially in a virtual communication environment, it's the misinterpretations that are the issue, Right? It's hard enough to facilitate a meeting in person. It's even harder when you have less of the room to see, when you have less of those nonverbals to see because you're looking at like the Brady box grid, a Brady bunch box of yeah. you know faces out there. It's just harder to see. So I actually tell a lot of leaders, if you're trying to build on this, the place to start is to, to take that person on the team you trust the most and ask them to watch for reactions. Ask them to watch for that time that Matt spoke up or looked like he wanted to speak up, but he was still on mute and he ended up not saying anything. And so maybe we should check in and pay attention to that next time. Or, or the time that I made that joke and Sarah didn't laugh, she actually had this frazzled look on her face and maybe she misinterpreted you or, or, or maybe you need to lay off the sarcasm, which is, by the way, as someone who grew up in the Northeast, something I'm still learning. Um, but you don't catch those things unless you have somebody else helping you notice them. Because when you're so focused on running the slides and making sure who's on mute when and getting through the agenda, you don't catch that people thing nearly as well as you did when you were in person. So you can end up accidentally creating a disrespectful workplace too. One of the ways to be influential is to understand how to read people, how to read the room. And when there's no physical room, that's a lot harder. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. There's no, there's no room. It's like, it, it can become really easy to think of the rest of the team as sort of non-playable characters in a video game, right? <laughs> right. And, and unless you're paying a lot, unless you're being really deliberate about trying to lean in and catch those things, catch the, um, the emotional changes of your team, catch the, the differences in behavior from, from one day or one week to the next, that might be a signal of things like burnout or, you know, exhaustion, et cetera. Unless you're willing to look for those things, man, it's really easy to, to just ignore them because they're not right up in front of you. I mean, a lot of them were hidden anyway, even in a co-located environment, but they're easy yeah. to, to remain hidden even more so now. It takes a lot more intentionality to try and proactively catch those things. Yeah. 
Yeah. And this applies to sort of all of our behaviors, right? We've been talking about it in the context of a, a Zoom meeting, but it applies to the emails, it applies to project oh, updates, yeah. et cetera. In fact, my number one piece of advice, right? If you're listening to this and you're like, great, what do I do tomorrow? Do this is to create a team working agreement, a document that actually says, this is how we're going to interact with each other at large and small, right? So obviously you want statements in there about civility and respect, but large and small, right? Like we agree that 24 hours is a reasonable amount of time to wait for a response to an email before we call someone, right? <laughs> if that's relevant to your team, you know, we, we agree that we're going to use our Slack channel as a water cooler. And as such, it's for non-work discussions only. That's my recommendation, but you as a team get to decide that, you know, we, we agree that we're going to spend, uh, we're, we're going to keep one hour a week open for office hours and, and we're list what those are just little things that help the team. I, I sometimes call this the declaration of interdependence, right? Speaking to the shared identity piece, little things that help the team figure out that we have to work together. And so let's come up with the norms and the ground rules for how we're going to work together in a shared document that we can all kind of see so that we're deliberate about this, right? And, and so that what often happens is a lot of these norms get violated because the norms were always unspoken and half the team doesn't even know it's a norm and, and that sort of thing. And so you get a boss, for example, that might be that type of person that um, that cuts out of work early, hangs out with their kids and then, and then does dinner and puts the kids to bed and then fires off a couple more emails before the next day, right? And that's great. That's fine. That's your life. You can schedule it however you want. But if you're sending your team emails at 1130 at night, and then your first thing the next morning is a 9am call with the whole team, and you open up with, did everyone see my email? Then you're not really honoring that other people have a different schedule. And so we need to have a conversation about those things so that we don't accidentally send those subtle little messages that I expect you to be checking your email before you do that thing that you thought was your first act of the day, which is jumping on the team meeting. Right. And as a declaration of interdependence it's it's about the team and i think you want to ensure that you get the entire team's uh input on this it's not so much a dictatorial declaration just from the just from the leader exactly so so the way that you do this right is you start with questions your questions as a leader for how uh, not how you think the team should interact, but the things you think the team needs to come to agreement with. And you're open to other people's questions, but then you call a meeting, right? And you have this simultaneous or synchronous conversation asking for, let's come up with an answer to those questions. What's, what are our, our no limit hours, right? Like what are our hours where everyone agrees we're not going to communicate, right? Our dark hours. Or um, what are, if we don't have that because we work in different time zones and everybody has different schedules, what's our, our um, average response time? Like what's our, Hey, don't, it's not in a, if it's an emergency call, if it's not an emergency, then be willing to wait. Is it 24? Is it 36 hours? Like what, what is it? Right. How do we want to keep each other updated when we need feedback? How do we want to make requests for help? All of those sort of things are questions that we need to be asking and let the team come to an agreement in that meeting about the answers to. And other questions will come up and that's fine. Just add them to the bottom of the list and don't close until you've got answers to all of those things. And then take those answers and turn them into that declarative statement, right? But it starts with those questions. And the only thing you get to do as a leader is decide sort of what the kickoff questions are. But this isn't about telling the team how you want the team to work. This is about guiding the team to figure out how they best can work together. It's all about how are you going to have the most effective, the most productive team. And they need to understand from each other, you know, how they can be more effective working with each other versus just 
adhering to your list of demands. Exactly. Exactly. Other, otherwise, you end up managing 10 individual relationships instead of leading a team. Exactly. You talked about being on a Zoom call and having that Brady Bunch look or that, uh, that you know, match game game show look. Um, and, and so there, there's a lot of Zoom fatigue. There is a lot of uh, people that are, you know, have negative thoughts around some of these remote and virtual tools. But have virtual tools actually helped teams in some ways that they otherwise didn't have before? Well, I, I, every tool, well, this will be the answer for it depends on how you use it, right? Ah. So if you're trying to recreate that, you know, a lot of teams had a, let's say, Monday morning, get the whole team together meeting for two hours, right? And, and it was weird because even then, you might have out of the two hours with 10 things on the agenda, there might be three things that you specifically need to be there to speak to, right? Yeah. But you, you can't really leave because that would be seen as rude. Plus, you're supposed to be in the building anyway. So if you were the only person not in the room, right, that would be, that would be weird. So you just kind of sit there, right? That's a recipe for Zoom fatigue, right? Recreating that, but in a Zoom environment is a recipe for Zoom fatigue. What I have seen a lot of teams do in the last year, and this is what a lot of thriving BC before Corona remote teams would do, is realize that half the things on the agenda could have actually been an email, right? So that's one. We automated. Now we cut the length right. of the meeting in half. But then we also realize that there's if there's different pieces of the agenda that are that different people speak to, then that's that might actually be three 30-minute meetings, not one 90-minute meeting with different people on. Now, you as the leader of the team, it's the same amount of Zoom for you. But what you've done is you've saved your team a whole lot of time because if they're not relevant to it, then they really don't need to be on that meeting all of the time, right? The, the weekly all hands meeting is should really in a, in a remote context, just be the status update meeting The what are we all working on? Where do we need help, et cetera? The larger discussions about how are we pursuing a project most of the time in most industries, every industry is different, but in most industries, those deeper questions around a project are actually questions that a three or four person discuss and not a 12 person team needs to have. So have the savvy to figure out what things do I need my whole team for and what things do I really need three or four people for? And the, and the, the nine people that get saved from that meeting will thank you because you're adding more productive time to their day. Remember the cost of a one hour meeting with a team of 12 is not one hour. It's 12 hours plus or minus the time it takes to get focused in that meeting and focus back. Right. So spend that time wisely. Exactly. Wow. So when we think of the office space, you know, like there, there's a number of offices, office spaces there and offices aren't fully going away, but how might things be different with literal office spaces going forward? I mean, the first thing for most organizations, and, and ironically, I've got a flurry. I don't know if everybody like, if suddenly it's the commercial real estate lease renewal time, which I, I don't think it should be because we're three months into the year as we're recording this. But I get a lot of those questions from small business owners right now that are like, how do I do this? I feel like I have way too much office space. Uh, and I mean, and a couple of folks from HR and large organizations. And, and the answer to almost all of them is you you do, you probably do, yeah. right? So, so there's two big things here. The, the first is that I think the size of most offices will shrink, right? Because you don't need everybody to be there with everybody to have a desk. There are certain groups like I don't unfortunately right now we already we, we already ragged on them once and I feel bad about this HR and legal will probably still have private offices where you can close the door and have those kind of conversations right 
Um, a lot, a lot of other people, it'll be more like a, a rotating, uh, rotating fleet of little office spaces, desks, et cetera. I think we're going to see a lot more hot desking, which was a trend even before Corona. That's a terrible term for it, but it's basically the idea that we have a company laptop now, not a mainframe computer, and we have space for you to work if you want to work here, but it's not your assigned desk anymore because a lot of people only want to be here two or three days a week. We're going to see a lot more of that. Some organizations will wisely recapture some of that office space by creating more collaboration spaces. I've been calling for this for a while. Like It weirds me out in a lot of open offices, for example, where it's like a sea of open desks and then three conference rooms that are all the same size. They all fit 12 people, right? And so why not Why not a small room for three people and another for five and then 12 and then 20, right? Like what? So I, I think we're gonna see a whole lot more of that as well. And I think that the, the goal, what I tell people, in fact, I just, I was actually just screaming this on Twitter. The goal for most organizations this year, as we're talking about this in 2021, should not be to solve the problem of when do we get everyone back to the office. It it should be that what is it going to look like thing. It really should be how do we create an environment where everyone feels welcome, but no one feels obligated. In other words, how do we create an environment for our, our industry and our company where everyone feels like there's space for you if you want to be here, but you don't have to be here, Right. And right. if we're solving, if we're solving for that, that's that's going to make the office space look a little different. A lot, like I said, a lot more collaboration, a lot less physical uh, footprint. But there's a cultural element to that too that I think needs to happen first, even before we start measuring new drapes and that kind of thing. And there are going to be times where people will be obligated to be there, but I don't think that it would be for actual work, like actual sitting down at your desk working. It would be more for those. Uh, hopefully not on a weekly basis, but uh, those all team meetings. Yeah. Or, or some organizations were doing this even before the, the pandemic, things like core hours. So let we say everybody needs to be here Monday through Thursday from 10 to two. And that's not because everyone needs to be here from those hours, but that's because you know, if you need to call a meeting for something that if you do it in those hours, people will have availability, right? There and you that go. you're, if, and and more importantly, that if you're, you know, that if you're trying to schedule a meeting at three o'clock in that situation, people are going to feel like you're stepping on their toes because you are. So don't do it, right? So we're going right. to see a lot more of that. Or, or sometimes people talk about the three two two work week with three days at the office, two days away, two days of, of weekend. I don't think that means Monday through Wednesday. I, I think that means probably um, every other day for a lot of people or, you know, two days on one day at the, I almost said off there, but it's obviously not off one day somewhere else, um, et cetera. I I actually don't like that as much as I like the core hour strategy, just because I think it doesn't solve the meetings problem. Um, Because my other fear, by the way, about meetings is that if we have this environment where we're calling for in-person meetings, but a few people are on their work from home or their work from somewhere else day, then you're going to get three people in the room and three people zooming in from their desktop. And that's actually an unlevel playing field, right? I'm I'm a much bigger fan of either let's get everybody in the room together or let's get everybody on the Zoom call together so we all start from that same level playing field. That goes back to what we talked about earlier about being able to read the room. Right, precisely. And and even just building out that... um, that's like we were talking about sense of psychological safety, the willingness to speak up, et cetera. I mean, you've, you've been on these calls before, right? You're, it oh, used yeah. to be even before, you know, 10 years ago, it was that little like weird spider looking thing that would sit on the top of the desk and be the speakerphone, right? And like whoever's on speakerphone, those people never talk, right? Yeah. 
those people sit there and listen and they only respond when you proactively ask them a question. But what always happens, you always forget to bring them back into the conversation. So they're, I mean, they're like, they're sitting there reading a book in their underwear at their house. They're not, they're not as engaged in the meeting as everyone else is. And that's because you designed the meeting wrong, right? So so that's that's the other thing it speaks to is just this sense of creating an environment where everyone feels like they can contribute because everyone has an equal chance of contributing. And they feel recognized, you know, and they, they, they feel like they're actually part of the meeting and uh, feel like they're there. You know, uh, and that little what Qualcomm, that little spider in, in the table, people would literally in the meeting and start walking out of the room and completely forget that there was still somebody on the call there. No one would say goodbye. And then that person would just have to hang up when they realized that there was just dead silence. Yep. Yep. So my, um, my, my, (laughs) my wife is a physician and she, obviously you can't do that. She works in the ER. You can't really do that from home. Um, so she's been there, right? Right. No, yeah, but she's been there. She's been on the front lines the whole time, but it's been really funny to watch the hospital adjust to that idea, right? Because they're, they're still doing that. It's 2021 and they're still making the 2010 faux pas of the, like, she'll be sitting there calling in, right? Because it's not her day to be at the hospital. So why go in for the meeting? And then like, and then it'll be silence and she'll be like, did, is something going on? What happened? And and then the funniest thing is on longer calls, they'll be like, why don't we take a five minute break? But if you don't, if you don't hear that, everyone's just silent for five minutes and you think the meeting's over and you hang up. Like it's the craziest thing. And we talked about the need for more collaboration space, you know, in, in the new office space. And, you know, when we think of a, a lot of knowledge workers, you know, collaboration is really key. And, and especially when it comes to creative problem solving. And I, actually, I think back to one of your earlier books, uh, the myths of creativity. And there you talk about how creativity is a team sport, you know, and I recall where, you know, a lot of the best problem solving meetings where I was a part of the problem was always solved by everyone putting up a bunch of post-it notes on the wall right there physically. So how can leaders foster that team aspect of creativity in a remote environment? Oh, it's so much better. Remote. I'm just kidding. It's actually not. Yeah. Um, I, w- I wish I could say it that way. And this is, it was the most depressing chapter of the book to write actually, <laughs> because I wish I could say, just use this crazy, great, expensive software that's being marketed to you right now. I'm sure it's already in your Facebook feed, et cetera. The truth is that there really isn't when it comes to the ideation part of, uh, of a creative problem solving process there really isn't a technology available right now that can level that playing field. I'm not saying never, right? There might be, I don't know. Let's see if Oculus Rift can create some sort of awesome thing, right? Well, but for right now, there's really nothing like that. But if you think for a lot of organizations, a lot of organizations made the assumption that that one meeting was the creative problem solving process. And in a, in a way, virtual helps us get out of that pattern. Remote, remote teams help us get out of that pattern and realize that really there's a there's a longer process here of making sure we're finding the right problem, making sure we understand the constraints of that problem and understand the, the full situation we're dealing with, then coming up with all of those ideas and then and then using that those constraints and the full extent of the problem to sort through those ideas and find one that sort of truly works and then test those ideas and get feedback and, and begin the cycle again until we until we find the 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 solution that works great 100% of the time. Most organizations I've worked with throughout my entire career don't do all of those things, right? right. So it's sort of a give and take, right? On the, on the one side, and this is, by the way, this is a short-term problem, right? Because for a lot of organizations, you'll be able to call those in-person meetings when you need to again. You know, I don't, I don't know when, but you will. 
but I don't think you should go back to this idea that all we need to do is get everybody in the room, grab some post-it notes and go to town. We need to take it slower. So in the book I talk about, if you're doing this fully remote, then this is probably three different meetings held at three different times. One to discuss and do research on the issue and present all of that so we fully understand the issue. One to do the ideation and then one to decide, which doesn't necessarily need to be the whole team. It can often be you know, the leader of the team and maybe the two or three people that are really going to run point on that project are actually the deciding ones. And if you break it up into those three, you can you can arrive at an idea, at a, at a finished product that will rival uh, the, the end product of the, that old method. Um, but even better would be to recognize and go hybrid and recognize that some of these things can happen remote. Let's get everybody in person on, on the day that everybody's in the office together and then you know keep going from there. That would be the best of, of all worlds. And so I'm hoping that, that that is what comes of this whole thing, that we respect the process more because we're not there all together. We can't just get in a room, fire off on a whiteboard, circle the answer that we think will work and then just call it done. And that process will help other people based on their different personalities, based on how they go about problem solving, because it gives them time between those meetings. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, we know this from a, a wealth of research. I mean, there's this big debate in the psychology community about whether brainstorming is overrated because there's certain studies that suggest that um, having everybody come up with ideas silently by themselves and then adding all those ideas together and judging for quality ends up with better ideas. I'm not entirely sure that's true because the the real beauty of brainstorming is what happens when ideas merge, right? When they collide, when two people present similar ideas and then in the debate between which one is better, we end up creating a third idea that truly is better. And that that doesn't that very rarely happens in those studies because it's hard to control for that and that's what we're talking about here, right? If we have a problem meeting, let's say on day, you know, Monday of week 1, and then the ideation session is scheduled for Thursday of week one with the decision following up afterwards. Not, not only do we have people have three days of, of silent generation to kind of think about and present those ideas, then what often happens is you close that meeting and we know that the decision meeting is Tuesday of week two. There's going to be a lot of ideas that happen over the weekend that people have time to submit and contribute to before we make that final decision as well, which is, which is great because the way to get great ideas is to get lots of ideas. And respecting this as a process and not just a one-time event is the best way to get lots of those ideas. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that process allows you to kind of build off of what's already been said. And, and, and that helps prompts you know, some of those other ideas and other solutions. Precisely. Of course, one of the biggest responsibilities of a leader is, is managing the performance of their team. And it seems like that's easier to do in person. So how should a leader approach performance management in a remote environment? Well, it's easier to do in person if we're assuming that presence equals productivity and, and I can see yeah. you, therefore I know you're working. And by the way, that was never true. Um, and and it's, it's easier in person if we've taken the time to know how to coach performance and that sort of a thing, uh, this is this is sort of to bring it all the way back to the top. If you were if you were moving away from micromanagement to true leadership, then the the shift to remote didn't feel as different for you as it did if you were still one of those micromanagers. 
on a remote team, we talked about this too. Managing performance means we have to start from a place of trust and autonomy, right? It doesn't mean we have to be gullible and let people take advantage of us. It means we deal with the untrustworthy people one at a time instead of creating a policy of we don't trust anyone. So we need a we need to install software on your computer that monitors when you log in and out and tracks your keyboard clicks and all sorts of crazy stuff, right? Yeah. And so when you're when you're doing that from trust and autonomy, that really means a couple different things. It means that you are setting objectives for the team and for individuals much more mutually than just assigning tasks, right? It means that you're talking about the larger project we're working on. You're you're letting people opt in if they want to handle a specific part of that task, or even if you are assigning tasks, then you're at least giving people a say over things like what the final deliverable looks like, what the deadline is, those sort of things. You're setting objectives sort of mutually. And if you do that, then from there, your job is really to just provide feedback on, on how people are doing and get people the resources they need on how they're doing. The big thing that changes, I think, in a virtual world is the timelines for doing this need to shrink dramatically, right? If you think about your average co-located work team that's working on a certain project, et cetera, if we're seeing each other every day or every other day, then our timelines can go to to a month, to six weeks out, out further because we can have those little micro interactions working on the project together. We're not having those when we're not in person. And so you can either build those back or, or even better, you can say, well, this would be our 90 day goal or this would be our six week sprint, but what does the next two weeks look like? And then let's circle back and see how we're all doing on that. That way we can pay attention to project pivots. We can pay attention to requests for help. We can give each other feedback that makes the final project better. So that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, I was already against the idea of annual performance reviews as the only time we were talking to people about how well they're doing, right? And, and so a lot of times I was advocating for checking in and having a coaching conversation like once a month. Well, it just got shorter. I mean, the last year that went to one once a week or every other week, depending on the individual person. There you go. And and it's much easier to course correct when you've got those more frequent interactions versus uh, you know, once every, you know, six months or once every 12 months. Yeah. Well, not only course correct to bring things back on track, but also course correct in the sense of letting other people know that the deliverable that I committed to is gonna look different because I I started in on the project and I realized we have to make these changes. I mean, how many times have you been on that working on a project with a team? And you don't talk to each other for like four weeks. And then when everybody shows up, it doesn't, the puzzle pieces don't actually fit together perfectly because two or three people had to change because they got hit upside the head by reality, right? Yeah. You're like, when you're, when you're checking in, right. When you're checking in every week or every other week as a team, you catch those sooner and everybody can course correct. Well, David, this is awesome. Uh, lots of really great lessons from this. And, and I love how they're laid out that you don't have to, start at the beginning and then build off of each other. You can you know, pick your dilemma, pick your challenge, and then go right to that lesson. But where can people go to learn more about you and learn more about leading from anywhere? So the single best place would probably be davidberkus.com. But if you don't remember how to spell that, just do your best to type it into Google. Um, they'll correct you or they'll send you to Nate Berkus, the interior designer's website. And there's some good stuff there too. But, but davidberkus.com is the place to go to find out more about the book. We've also got a lot of resources that are on that page that are, that are free. You don't have to buy the book to get at that'll really help you with things like that team working agreement that we talked about, or even just picking the right tool to use for project management software, et cetera. We got a lot of that stuff at davidberkus.com. Nice. Very cool. Well, David, thank you again. It's been great seeing you. Great hearing uh, how you've been able to quickly pull these lessons together for everybody in these uh, 
unprecedented times. <laughs> I'm so tired of hearing that. But yes, thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with David Burkus. So go and check out his book, Leading From Anywhere. And when you go to davidburkus.com slash resources, you'll find all kinds of tools to help you up your remote leadership game. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It'll make it a lot simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Ari Berkowitz. Listen, this next episode is a don't miss episode as Ari and I discuss the greatest book you've never read, The Triumph of the Man Who Acts by Edward Earl Purinton. If you think of all the foundational lessons that you're hearing today on how to thrive in leadership, how to thrive in your career, how to thrive in your personal life, those lessons were also taught by Earl Purinton. Only he taught them over a hundred years ago. And his published works have remained mysteriously hidden for the past six decades until Ari Berkowitz unearthed them this past year. So you're not going to want to miss this one. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Ari's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple. Simple.